Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to be starting out in Numbers, so uh, that's a new one for you for a while. We haven't uh, we haven't been outside of Colossians, so as I uh, give you the intro here, why don't you jump over to Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, so right there at the beginning for you. Often, often lost somewhere between Halloween candy and pumpkin pie is the holiday originally known as, anybody know, Armistice Day, and today we know it as Veterans Day. According to the uh, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the purpose of Veterans Day, and I put it in your bulletin, is this, a celebration to honor America's veterans for their patriotism, their love of country, and willingness to serve and sacrifice for the common good. Why do we, why do we as a church, why do we mark this day and those that serve in this way? Why do we celebrate them? Why would we do that in a church? I think, I think for at least two reasons. One, I believe we instinctively know that it's right to honor such men and women. I think there's just something inside of us, the way God has built us and designed us, even, even in our sinfulness, that we know sacrifice when we see it, and it should be honored. Uh, number two, I believe that the Bible would have us do so. You see, the character traits that the men and women in our armed forces demonstrate, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but they're godly character traits. You know, we didn't come up with those on our own. I mean, these are these are character traits that God calls us to because they they match his character, don't they? These men and women live by codes and core values and use words like honor and courage and commitment. From the outside looking in, the most impressive aspect of these men and women has to be their willingness to sacrifice. And I would argue that Honor, courage, commitment, values, core values, codes like that can only be found under the umbrella that is sacrifice. Without a, without a, a willingness to sacrifice, you don't get honor, courage, and commitment, do you? Because each one of those character traits requires some level, some degree of sacrifice. In Philippians chapter 2, you could turn if you want to with me, I'll be there for just a moment. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul mentions a guy named Epaphroditus. You know Epaphroditus? He gets mentioned a couple times in Scripture and in Philippians 2. He gets called, guess what, a soldier. Paul says this about Epaphroditus. But I thought it necessary, we're in verse 25, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow, what's the word? Soldier. Who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Now is Epaphroditus any sort of soldier that we know of? No, not, not technically. Does Paul reckon him as a soldier? Does Paul equate the ministry that he is doing to being of some sort of service like that of which a, so, a soldier would take up? He does. He does. Paul would call himself a soldier. Now he's calling this man, not just a fellow worker, but he says he's a fellow soldier of the faith. Keep going. Notice, notice here the character of this man. He is a minister to my need because he was longing for you and all who were distressed because you, you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. 
This was a guy who almost died in the line of duty. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then, verse 29, receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. What kind of men do we do we get to hold in high regard then, according to Paul's estimation? Men who are fellow workers, men who are soldier-like. What makes them soldier-like in Paul's estimation? Look at the last verse. He mentions something he's already mentioned once. Because he came close to, what's the word? Death. For the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. What kind of guy is Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus is what I like to call a weight-bearing wall of the faith. He is a soldier of the faith. Declared so by the Apostle Paul, but it's not just because he was hanging around. Epaphroditus is those kind of guys that you, that you miss when they're gone. You know the difference between a weight-bearing wall and a non-weight-bearing wall? Anybody? If you go to renovate in your house, right, or a building, and you want to just say, take out that wall to open up the space a little bit, you better know if it's a weight-bearing wall or not, because you can't just go getting rid of walls, right? I mean, you could, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be good. The, the whole thing would collapse. It would fall in. Why? Because some walls hold up the whole structure. Other walls are just there for what? For decoration. They're just hanging out, really. And you can, you can get rid of those and you don't really notice a difference. Epaphroditus is a weight-bearing wall for the Apostle Paul and for the faith. That's why he gets called not just a fellow worker, but he gets called a soldier. And what is the evidence? The evidence is this guy, he was sick even to the point of death. So much so that the Philippians were worried about him. They thought he was dying. And Paul's praying, God, don't take this guy because then I'll, just, I'll have more sorrow. I can't lose this soldier. And then Paul wraps up this, this whole section. He says, this guy and those like him, not just him. You notice that? Honor men like him. Why? Maybe we could say they're the few, they're the proud. There aren't many of them. In the Christian faith, we may, we may have more decorative walls than we do weight-bearing walls. Where are all the Epaphroditus's? That is what the men and women in our armed forces do. They bear the weight of our safety and freedom, and they do it very often at great cost. When I decided to uh, become a military chaplain, I, in my own mind, I made, I made a list, kind of to challenge myself why I actually wanted to do this. And I knew my wife was going to ask me, and so I needed a list for her as well. And uh, there were many things on my list, uh, one of them being kind of the heritage that I was brought up in. Um, my older brother had served in Desert Storm as a Marine. My father had served in Vietnam. My father-in-law served in Germany. Uh, my grandfather had served in World War II. And so uh, essentially every man in the family that I knew had served in the military at some point in time. And so it was, it was in my blood, you might say. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just in my blood, but I, I felt, I felt that, um, that I would be paying them respect by, by honoring them in that way. Does that make sense? Another reason I did it is because I, I felt like I needed to... Uh, to, to live out some, some sort of example to my two sons of what I know I would one day call them to, a willingness to commit to something bigger than themselves, a willingness to, to, to sacrificially be a part of something that is for the greater good. And for me, I, I felt like I could best do that not just by explaining to them what these men and women are willing to do, but by taking that step myself. 
and being put on a list and, and, and being willing to say, if they call, yes, I'll go. And, and if only that. So that was one of the reasons. Another reason was um, I think that God is wired. I think, I think God has wired men and designed men in particular to, to be fulfilled in, in ideas of protection and conquering. Right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about? There's something, something about the way God has wired us that we, have to, that we have to find ways to fulfill that, whether it's the military or, or other avenues. Um, that was part of my reason. It was on my list. And there were others. But the most nagging, maybe nagging is not the right word, but the most inspiring reason on my list, the one that I just couldn't get away from day after day and night after night that I, that I considered making that decision was, was this fact, that there are men and women out there who are willing to make these great sacrifices, leave their families, leave their homes for, for great amounts of time, uh, do that unimaginable, uh, just leaving small children behind, and then be in a place where they're going to put their life on the line and, and being there willing to lay it down. And, and the thought that I kept having is, if they're willing to do that, how can I not be willing to do what I could do? And I'm not what the military calls a war fighter. I'm a, I'm a supporter. I'm a support system guy, like, like doctors and, and dentists and chaplains. We're, we're supporters. And so the thought that I kept having in my mind is, if those, if those folks are willing to do what they are doing, we need some guys like me. Who are, who are willing to come alongside them. And I, kept, I kept having this nagging question, why not me? Why not, why not me to support them? If they're willing to do what they're doing, they're, in short, their sacrifice inspired me. Their willingness, even, to sacrifice inspired me. It is impossible. Here's the point. It's impossible not to respect that kind of sacrifice, isn't it? It's impossible not to admire such honor, courage, and commitment. But I wonder this morning how many, how many Christian soldiers have earned the same sort of respect. I mean, Paul uses the language. We sing the old great, old great song of the faith, "Onward, Christian soldier." I mean, do we really do we really equate it to that, or is it just a is it just a nice metaphor? Shouldn't honor, courage, and commitment be best represented in the church? Or shouldn't, we, shouldn't we as Christians in God's army do an even better job at those sort of core values than the men and women who, who are patriots to our nation? Shouldn't we have patriots that rise up in God's army in an even greater way? Shouldn't we be the examples of things like honor, courage, and commitment? So my question this morning, and the rest of my message hinges around this, I'll just tip my hand to you, is where, where are they? It, it doesn't quite seem to me, you know, and we, we all go to parades and we all wave flags and we all celebrate veterans and Memorial Day and we, and we, and we go to great memorial uh, locations like Arlington National Cemetery and we watch movies about these men and women who, who make these great sacrifices and we're, we're all encouraged and we're all emboldened and we all will wave that flag and we all will celebrate for them. Ought, ought not we have some Christian soldiers that we revere in the same way? We just celebrated Billy Graham's birthday. Maybe, maybe he's one of the last of the kind. Should he be? Where are the Epaphroditus? Where are all the men and women 
who should be honored in the church. I want to show you an old story in Scripture. It starts in Numbers 32. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 32. Moses is still alive. Okay? He's coming to the end of his life. And Moses was hoping to go into the promised land, but he doesn't get to do that. You remember some things went wrong. He sent some spies in and guys came back, the majority of them, 10 out of the 12, and they said, no, they're too big over there. The, the battle is, is in their favor, and even though God is on our side, we understand that, we understand everything he's done for us, they're too big, we can't do it. Two men alone out of the twelve said it was possible because God was on their side. Not because they had a great army, not because they were great soldiers. They weren't. Two men alone came back and said, we can do this. Because of that, God had them walk in circles for a little while, right? Towards the end of Moses' life, two and a half tribes on the, um, on the captivity side of the Jordan come to Moses and say, Moses, this is pretty good land right here. In fact, I know that one day God will, will allow the nation to go into Israel, uh, go across the Jordan into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. I know one day uh, as a nation we'll get there. And it will be great, and that land is going to be great. But listen, this land is pretty good. And all of us, the two and a half tribes of us, we're, we're cattlemen, and this is pretty good cattle land. So what do you think, Moses, about us staying here? Now, how do you think that conversation is going to go? Listen, Numbers 32. Now, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazar and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad, the sons of Reuben, came and spoke to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, and you get a whole bunch of names there. The land, verse 4, which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, if we found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. But Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit on your duff? That's my translation. Verse 7, now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel, from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them. Do you see the implications here? Moses notices something. He says, if you guys hang back, what is that going to do to the morale of the whole army? Do you think they're going to want to go in without you? If people just start dropping off, flaking out, pulling out of the commitment, pulling out of the fight, what do you think is going to happen to the rest of us? You're going to notice several implications throughout this story that I think are, that I think are worthwhile for for us as, as a church, as a Christian army local unit, to notice, to take note of, that it matters what, what a portion of us do. It matters to what, to what a, a percentage of us do when it comes to the whole. Do you recognize that? Uh, Moses recognized it. Hey, if you guys bail, how do you think that's going to affect the lot of us? Keep going. Verse 8, this is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. 
So the Lord's anger burned in that day, and he swore, saying, None of the men who came out of Egypt from the twenty years of old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully. There's a, there's a spiritual war here. And Moses says, I, I don't want to repeat our, our same mistakes. They didn't trust God. Are you telling me you don't trust God? Why do you want to hang out here when the promised land is there? Moses is questioning their motives. Verse 12. Except Caleb, son of... Except Caleb, the son of... Anybody say it better than me? Jephunneh, and Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. For they have followed the Lord fully. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men they were, to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from the following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. And they came near to him, and this is what they said. Notice, notice their response. Here's their response. We will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. Where here? Here on the captivity side of the Jordan. But we, verse 17, ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place while our little ones live in fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of our sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance, for we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because of our inheritance has fallen to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord, for the war, and all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord. Then afterwards you shall return and be free of obligation toward the Lord and toward Israel, and this land shall be yours for possession before the Lord. But if you do not, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And here's a, here's a popular phrase we like to use. Notice the context. And be sure your sin will find you out. What's their sin? What does Moses think they're at risk of? They're at risk at, at bailing on the nation. Copping out, not fulfilling their part of the commitment. Be sure your sin will find you out. Verse 24. Build yourself cities for your little ones and sheepfolds for your sheep and do what you have promised. Do what you have promised. 25, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do just as my Lord commands. Is that encouraging? I mean, that, that, that's, like a, that's like a great military speech right there. Are you leaving? Are you scared? Are you, are, you, are you bailing on your commitment? No, sir, we're not. In fact, we'll be here. Leave all the kids here. Leave all the women here. We'll go and we won't come home until you say we're done. You think Moses had to question their commitment ever again? I don't think so. Fast forward a little bit. Moses dies. There's a new leader now, isn't there? Moses doesn't get to go into the land. Who has to take them? Joshua, turn to your right 
find Joshua chapter 1. Joshua now, with the new generation, is getting ready to take the nation into the promised land. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan. Joshua is making ready the troops. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 10, he says this, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you are to cross the Jordan to go in, within, uh, to, go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. To the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Uh-oh. Joshua said this. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you behind the Jordan. But you shall cross before your brothers in battle array all your valiant warriors and shall help them. How did, how did Joshua know about this? I wonder, maybe Moses told him as he passed the torch, maybe Moses informed him, hey, listen, here's what Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are up to. You need to know as the new leader. Maybe, and I think this is maybe more likely, that, that at the time that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh made this commitment before Moses, everyone was made aware. It was before the whole nation. It wasn't a secret commitment. It was a commitment they made before all. And it was a commitment they intended to fulfill. And before we go into the nation... Before we go in to the Jericho, before we set one foot into the river that divides us between captivity and the promised land, as he's making ready all the troops, he says, let's recommit, guys. Are you still committed to this? You committed to Moses. Are you committed to me? Look at what they say. Then answered, uh, go to verse 16. Then answered Joshua saying, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you have commanded him shall be put to death. Only be strong and be courageous. Where did he get those words? Those were God's words, in fact, to Joshua. God has been telling Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Multiple times, be strong and courageous. Now, it's these two and a half tribes. Are you still in this? We're still in it. Just as we obeyed Moses, we will obey you. We're still committed. In fact, Joshua, rest assured, be strong and courageous. We're here. How amazing is that, is that the, that the troops come to the, the new leader and say, we're here. You take courage. We're not going anywhere. Fast forward again. Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. We haven't heard much about Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In the meantime, between chapter 1 and chapter 22, the nation has gone into the land. And they've begun to secure a foothold in the land. Actually, I'm going to start in Joshua 21 verse 43 as it wraps up the chapter. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. God had been faithful. Now, chapter 22, look at who else has been faithful. 
Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadonites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I've used this passage probably four times. You know when I've used it? Funerals. Funerals of old faithful men. Whether they've been faithful to country or whether they've been faithful to God. It fits. Watch this. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have listened to my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this very day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers. And he spoke to them, Therefore, turn now and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. Only be careful to observe the commandments and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. What is the story of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh? It's a story of men of honor, courage, and commitment. You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. All of these days, to this very day. Most commentators believe that that was an amount of about 14 years. And that's one heck of a tour of duty. When they promised years ago to Moses, Moses, we'll take this land. It's not part of the land flowing in milk and honey. It's good enough for us. Moses said, heck you say, you're not leaving us to go fight the battle while you hang out here? They said, no, no, that's, that's not what we're saying. Let's make camp here for the, for the rest of the nation, all the children and all the women, and we'll, we'll take up arms and we'll fight the battle that is ours. And when we're done, when you say we're done, then we'll break camp and we'll go home. And 14 years later, we find that these men had continued faithful to the very end. Where are, where are the Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh Christians today? Do you qualify? Would you qualify in Paul's estimation as a fellow soldier? Do you realize, or do we just use it as Christian slang, that we are, we are part of a, a war, a spiritual war that is going on? you consider yourself in any way a soldier? In God's army? Have you, ever, have you ever considered core values like courage, honor, and commitment to be yours to be had as well? Does sacrifice play into your living out your Christianity? And if so, to what degree? I, I seem to remember somewhere we, we get called to be living sacrifices in this world. Is that right? Living sacrifices. For this Veterans Day, um, as a as a pastor, I I often now as a chaplain compare the two, the two worlds, the military world and the Christian world, and there are a lot of similarities. You know, uh, most of you know very well because you watch the news. And you've been alive more than a day. 
that uh, there are some goofed up things about our military and the government behind our military even more so. Amen? I mean, we, we got a whole lot of stuff. I was on the phone uh, just this past week with one of my senior chaplains, and we were talking about some of our responsibilities to our unit, etc. And we, we kind of laughed at the end of the conversation based on everything we had talked about. We kind of laughed and said, hey, if we could ever get this stuff taken care of, we could actually do our job, which is to support the readiness of our warfighters. And, th- and that's really the work we want to do. If we could just get past the stuff, maybe we could, maybe we could do the work. Maybe we could, we could make a difference for the battle at hand and for those who are fighting the battle. You know, sometimes as a pastor, <laughs> I, I feel the same way. You know, if we, could get, if we could get past some of the stuff around here, we could actually do the work of the ministry. We could actually fight some spiritual battles here. One thing I appreciate about the military, at least from the men that, that are the boots on the ground guys, not, not, not Washington, not the, not the politicians, not the government behind the military necessarily, but, but, the, but the soldiers, the Marines, the sailors, there's no nonsense with them, guys. They understand they're there for honor, courage, and commitment. They, are under, they understand very well and very clearly that they may be called upon to make, make a huge sacrifice. And they do the work that they need to do to be ready to make that sacrifice. Um, I guess I would have to say that, that I don't know in the church world that we that we get past some of the nonsense as well as they do in the military world. I think maybe we don't do as good of a job getting past some of the program issues, some of the just stuff, right? I don't want to go into the list. Some of the peripheral stuff that holds us back from actually accomplishing what we are designed to accomplish for the kingdom of God, being God's soldiers. One of my favorite movies is a movie uh, called We Were Soldiers. It's based on a book, a true story, written by Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore. It's a true story. Uh, he wrote a book with a, uh, with a young journalist who was actually in a battle with him. The book was called We Were Soldiers Once and Young. And uh, he says, he says himself, uh, that American soldiers don't, don't fight for maybe the reasons you think they fight. At least not in, in the moment. At least not in the heat of the battle. Here's a quote from Hal Moore that has always stuck with me. American soldiers in battle don't fight for what some president says on TV. They don't fight for mom, apple pie, the American flag. They fight for one another. Now I think he would, I think he would, I think he would say that when these men first sign up, they do so out of patriotism. They do so for country and God. I think there are bigger reasons. I think they do fight, fight for mom and apple pie and the American flag, everything that America stands for. But as he rightly points out, I think that, that in that moment, when they, have to, when they have to sacrifice potentially everything, they, they are fighting for one another. And it hit me um, just this morning that I wonder in the Christian army, as we've been for several weeks now talking about relationships in particular, what we fight for as soldiers together. 
What are you fighting for? Maybe that's a good question for you to ask. Are you in the fight? (laughs) Do you understand there is a battle raging? Uh, Those are good questions. If you're in the battle, what are you fighting for? Maybe some of us don't have an answer to that because we're just so caught up still in, in all the stuff, all the politics, all the junk that gets in the way to keeping us from really just doing our job. I think as Christians we, we ought to fight for, for the bigger things, for, for God, for the glory of God, for His honor, for His glory. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I also think that this quote holds true, that day to day, there ought to be some sense in which we as Christian brothers and sisters in this, in this army, we're in the fight for each other. We lock arms and we do this together. I, I, I think maybe we, we fall short there. I imagine that our commander-in-chief, not our nation's commander-in-chief, but our our spiritual commander-in-chief. The Lord Christ Himself may echo the words, almost made a mockery of by some, ask not what your Christianity could do for you, but what you can do for your Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we we ask that You would... uh, You would create in the church the same and even to a greater degree sense of honor and courage and commitment and willing sacrifice that we see in those that we honor on holidays like this. We rightfully honor them for those character traits, God, because they're they're godly characteristics. And Lord, as pastor of this, just this, just this local church, I pray that we would find more men and more women and more children stepping up, growing in godly character traits like honor, courage, commitment, and and willing sacrifice. I pray that it could be said of us here at Cornerstone that that we we fight not just for for the glory of you, God, but we fight for each other and we will fight with each other side by side against against the enemy in the battle that we're in. Father, give us as a church collectively Uh, the clarity and the understanding to see what's just stuff in our way. To see um, what is just uh, church philosophy stuff or just uh, our own opinions about what church should be. Uh, Lord, help us just to get rid of some of the nonsense that we we so clearly see when we look at our government or when we look at our, our military. Lord, why is it so easy to see there but not as easy to see here. So Lord, give us eyes to see it. Give us eyes to see the nonsense, through the nonsense and to the fight, to the battle. Lord, give us a, give us a heart. Encourage us to, to move past those things so that we can do what we've been called to do. Raise up men and women like that of the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Men and women who are committed to the end, faithful throughout Men like Epaphroditus, who even if it means death, Lord, they're going to they're gonna stay the course. Lord, I long to honor more and more men and women in our church.
who rise to the top. As heroes for the faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.